Mayor Brandon Johnson picks CPD veteran Larry Snelling as the next chief of Chicago police. And I'll talk with Crane's healthcare reporter Catherine Davis about the impact of leadership changes in healthcare, including Medline under new CEO Jim Boyle. It's unclear, like I said, what Medline will do. I talked with an expert who said that it's more likely that Medline will be taken public or be sold to another consortium of private equity investors. But whichever outcome it is, Jim is going to have to position the company to be profitable enough and attractive enough to any buyer. I'm Amy Guth, and this is Crane's Daily Gist for Tuesday, August 15th. Want some wins? Wintrust Community Banks is proud to be ranked number one in customer satisfaction in personal banking in Illinois by J.D. Power. That's one win, and that's for the second year in a row. That's a win-win. And you can now earn even more interest with Wintrust's new savings rates. That's a win-win-win. To get your savings some wins, visit Wintrust.com slash LockNewRates. That's Wintrust.com slash LockNewRates. Members FDIC. For J.D. Power 2020. Award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. I'm joined by Crane's healthcare reporter, Catherine Davis, here to talk about, well, there, there seems like there's been some leadership changes in local healthcare lately, so let's dig into that. Catherine, let's start with Medline. They announced that after more than 26 years, their CEO and a couple of other executives would be retiring from their roles and moving to the board of directors. Tell me about this. So, you know, Medline is an interesting company that Cranes covers because it's a private company. They focus on producing and shipping medical supplies. So that's everything from masks and gloves to surgical tables, wheelchairs. They really run the gamut on sort of the medical products that they sell. And we don't know that much about their internal operations usually because they are a private company. So unlike some of the other big public companies we cover, we rarely get an insight into you know what's happening at the company, how much money they're making, how the macro environment is, is affecting them. But we sort of got a glimpse of that recently because they've had a really big leadership change. So Medline was a family-owned business for its entire lifespan since it was founded in in 1966. And recently, those family members who were leading the company in the key executive roles like CEO, COO, etc., moved to the board of directors this summer. And that move came about two years after Medline took a private equity buyout. So this transition was um, a little bit expected, but I think it really represents a new era for the company. And so we profiled the new CEO, Jim Boyle. He is the first Medline leader that is not related to the founding Mills family. And he is tasked with leading the company through its next phase of growth, while also now reporting to new bosses, so to speak. So Of course, now the three former executives that are part of the Mills family are on the board, but they only have three seats, right? And the other nine seats are taken up by the private equity investors. 
Mm, interesting. And the new CEO, Jim Boyle, was with the company. He's he's just been promoted into that role. Is that right? That's right. He has been with Medline for about 27 years. He originally started at the company as a sales representative in Texas uh, before getting promoted and moving up to headquarters in about 2013. And he's worked his way up the executive ranks. And he officially starts his new role as CEO on October 1st. But when I spoke to him at Medline's headquarters a few weeks ago, he was telling me he's basically already started the job and has very much hit the ground running. Yeah, I can't imagine that's a job that you you know is coming down the road and you just kind of hang out and wait for that first day. I imagine you probably have to jump right in and there's, I'm sure, a transition plan in place there. So what might we expect from Medline under his leadership that might differ from the way it's been run? You know, a couple of the big things that Jim told me he's he's interested in doing or, you know, of course, continuing to grow the company coming out of the COVID-19 pandemic. So some of that means acquiring other small medical suppliers like Medline has done in the past. So sort of continuing that trend, you know, they're still hiring, still expanding their product catalog and trying to serve hospitals and doctor's offices the best they can. I think one of the unique things about what Jim's tenure will bring for him and the company is the reality that these private equity investors are going to have to cash their investment out of Medline at some point. We don't know exactly when that is. The private equity investors and Medline declined to disclose their their exact plans or what they're thinking. But what we do know generally is that private equity firms typically hold on to investments for five to seven years. And at that point, they either sell their investment, the company, to another buyer, to another set of private equity firms, or they take it public uh, and sell its stock to investors. And so it's unclear, like I said, what Medline will do. I talked with an expert who said that it's more likely that Medline will be taken public or be sold to another consortium of private equity investors. But to get to that point, whichever outcome it is, Jim is going to have to position the company to be profitable enough and attractive enough to any buyer. Um, and so that means growing the company, keeping costs down um, and running it as efficiently as possible. Well, we'll have to check in and once he's behind the wheel for a little while and see what kind of changes he's making. So let's move to UChicago Medicine, where they have also made some leadership changes. So UChicago Medicine announced recently that they've named Krista Carell, uh, Executive Vice President and Chief Operating Officer. She has been with the organization since 2001. She was most recently chief administration officer as well as chief transformation and integration officer. And so, you know, she has certainly worked her way up through the executive ranks at UChicago and will be, you know, overseeing operations for the entire system, you know, including its big medical center in Hyde Park, as well as its various other locations in the Chicagoland area. Which then takes us to Dooley Health, which is another company you cover. Another leadership change there. Tell me about this. 
Dooley Health and Care has been a really interesting company to watch over the last couple months because they have been shaking up their executive ranks and they've been doing it kind of quietly. I learned back in June that Dooley had named a new CEO and the company hadn't announced it publicly, but when I inquired about it, they confirmed that yes, they had named Dan Greenleaf their new CEO and that was effective immediately, and, and he replaced Tammy Reller, who had served as CEO for less than a year. And when Greenleaf was appointed CEO, it sort of confirmed a, a trend that we've been seeing at Dooley, this turnover of their executive team, particularly the CEO role. Greenleaf is the third CEO at Dooley in the last four years. And like Medline. Dooley also has private equity investors. So you could imagine that that those investors are helping making some of these executive decisions. But the plot sort of thickened more recently in August when I learned again that Dooley had pushed out seven executives, top executives, including its chief operating officer and its chief financial officer, and had named some new folks in certain positions, but is also undergoing a search now for others, like a permanent chief operating officer, for instance. And so it's sort of unclear exactly what all these changes mean for Julie right now. You know, I've asked the company and, and they've been pretty mum on what's going on behind the scenes there. But what we do know is that those private equity investors may be looking to sell Julie soon or take it public. The firm is called Aries Management, and they've had their investment in Dooley for about six years now. And, you know, going based on that estimate that private equity firms typically hold investments for five to seven years, we're sort of surmising that Dooley may be ready for an exit soon. And so part of that could be making changes at the executive level. I think what's interesting about the recent changes at Dooley is that in a memo, I obtained where Greenleaf was announcing the executive changes. He said that he wants employees to continue to focus on patient care while supporting each other as we continue to, quote, transform this great organization, end quote. So, you know, the transform there lets us know that maybe there is sort of a big strategic move going on behind the scenes at Dooley. You know, I'm certainly going to keep following this story to see what else we can find out about the changes at Dooley, but they're key for us to watch because they are the largest physicians group in the state of Illinois, and that's making them one of the largest in the nation. You know, they serve about 2.5 million patients across 150 locations in Illinois and Indiana, and they employ more than a thousand physicians, making them a really big employer of doctors. Um, and they offer dozens of specialties and primary care. All right. Well, always interesting to uh, talk about all the changes going on in the in the healthcare world. Thanks so much, Catherine. Always a pleasure. Thanks, Amy. Coming up, Chicago's top public health official, Dr. Allison Arwitty, is fired by Mayor Brandon Johnson. We'll talk about that and more right after this.
Do you know a leader, a visionary, an influencer, an innovator? Do you know a Titan? Join the ranks of Chicago's Titan 100, a new exclusive community for C-suite executives. Stand up and be recognized and tap into the power of a growing national network. Learn more, nominate someone, or apply today at whipfleecom slash Chicago Titan. That's WIPFLI.com slash Chicago Titan. This is the Crane's Daily Gist with Amy Guth. Crane's policy and politics reporter Justin Lawrence and political columnist Greg Hines jointly reported that Chicago Mayor Brandon Johnson has chosen Larry Snelling, a seasoned veteran of the Chicago Police Department, as the new chief of police. Snelling, a former commander of the Englewood District, currently leads the Bureau of Counterterrorism and gives Johnson a chance to reimagine public safety in the city while supporting rank-and-file officers. Johnson's decision was announced in a statement under the letterhead of the Community Commission on Public Safety and Accountability, or CCPSA, not at a press conference. He nonetheless lauded Snelling as an exceptional choice due to his leadership in criminal networks and narcotics, community relations, and his commitment to professional standards. Johnson later issued his own statement in which he said, quote, Chief Snelling is a proven leader who has the experience and the respect of his peers to help ensure the safety and well-being of city residents and address the complex challenges we face related to community safety. Snelling's confirmation requires city council approval, which will likely be delayed until September. Community Commission President Anthony Driver said Snelling stood out as someone who could, quote, unite the city because of what he described as the, quote, variety of people with different viewpoints who spoke highly of him, including police officers when the commission met with the Fraternal Order of Police Lodge 7, members of Illinois Attorney General Kwame Raoul's office, which is charged with enforcing the federal consent decree mandating reforms of the department, and residents at a Southside community meeting. If confirmed, Snelling will follow Interim Superintendent Fred Waller. Crane's Ali Marathi reported that Kraft Heinz, the Chicago-based ketchup maker, is set to have a new CEO at the start of the coming year, as it enters its next phase of growth. Carlos Abrams Rivera will assume the role of CEO and board member on January 1st, with his current position as president of the North America Zone transitioning to the presidency immediately. The leadership transition sees Abrams Rivera taking over for Miguel Patricio, who's been CEO for more than four years and chairman since 2022. Patricio will become non-executive chair on January 1st. Abrams Rivera, who joined Kraft Heinz in February of 2020, comes from a background at Campbell Soup and began his career in the food industry at Kraft Foods. He is tasked with guiding Kraft Heinz through a growth period while addressing ongoing challenges related to inflation. The company has outlined its strategies to expand into food service and to introduce more diverse products like personalized sauces and Mexican packaged foods. But Marathi noted in reporting that at the same time, Kraft Heinz must work to retain its customers. Though Kraft Heinz executives said during the company's most recent earnings call that it was not worried about sales slumping, some consumer packaged goods makers have reported a drop this summer. Snack makers have been raising prices for more than a year to offset inflation, 
and Marathi reported that some consumers have decamped to private label brands. Marathi also noted that the challenges facing Abrams Rivera are not as steep as those Patricio had to contend with when he took over in July of 2019. At that time, the mac and cheese maker was in crisis. Sales were falling in the wake of deep cuts by predecessor Bernardo Heese, who was installed as CEO by 3G Capital after the Brazilian buyout firm teamed up with Warren Buffett to merge Kraft Foods and Heinz in 2015. Carrying out the 3G playbook, Heese eliminated thousands of jobs and closed factories in a cost-cutting campaign that slashed $2 billion in expenses and briefly inflated the company's profit margins to industry-leading levels. Patricio's leadership strategy included boosting media spending for flagship brands, refreshing logos, and launching innovative products. He also streamlined Kraft Heinz's portfolio by selling off weaker brands and managing commodity costs. Marathi reported that amid pandemic-related health and safety measures, the company experienced a surge in sales as consumers turned to grocery stores over restaurants. But the challenge was in retaining these new customers as restrictions eased. Sales slipped slightly at that time, and Patricio was met with his next challenge, keeping all those new customers even as they were allowed to go back to restaurants. Experts say that one way to retain those customers is through innovation, which Marathi reported Kraft Heinz plans to focus on going forward. In a string of setbacks for South and West Side neighborhoods, the closure of three Walmart stores on the South Side this spring has deepened concerns over limited access to fresh produce, meat, and pharmacy items. This follows the loss of two Target stores and the recent closure of Englewood's Whole Foods. Melody Winston, senior executive of Living Fresh Market in Forest Park, who aims to expand in the city, told Cranes, quote, the black community has lost trust in grocers, adding they don't know who is going to stick around and who won't. Cranes contributor Judith Crown reported that operating profitable supermarkets on the south and west sides has proven challenging due to several factors. For one, according to Mara Devitt, senior partner at retail consultancy McMillan Doolittle, many black and brown communities have lost population and median income has stagnated. Devitt also noted that security aspects have also posed challenges, with additional investment needed to address safety concerns for both customers and staff. Retailers driven by returns on investment potentially then shift focus to locations with less needed overhead. Crown noted in reporting that the closing of the Whole Foods store in Englewood amplified many of the issues. Not only did the neighborhood lose a marquee store brand, but in its place came Save-A-Lot, which has a reputation for subpar service. Yellow Banana, a black investor group, has secured funding to upgrade and reopen Southside stores. And while skepticism exists due to a lack of immediate improvements, Crown noted in reporting that there's hope for change over time. Aldi, with its small store footprints, low operating costs, and no-frills formula, demonstrates that success is possible in disinvested neighborhoods. It runs 33 stores in Chicago, including more than a dozen on the south side. And independent operators say there's room for more stores that forge close ties with their communities, providing jobs, special services, and events. But the departure of smaller chains also prompts smaller initiatives to address food shortages. Community gardens and farmers markets are stepping in, but the absence of full-service grocery stores leaves gaps in healthy food access. Crown noted that despite the challenges, local entrepreneurs are striving to create new solutions, such as the forthcoming 40 Acres Fresh Market on the west side.
Find more in-depth reporting on this story from Crane's contributor Judith Crown at chicagobusiness.com. Chicago's top public health official, Dr. Allison Arwady, was removed from her position on Friday by Mayor Brandon Johnson. Dr. Arwady, who assumed the role of commissioner of the Chicago Department of Public Health in 2019 under former Mayor Lori Lightfoot's administration, had previously expressed her intention to continue serving under Mayor Johnson. However, leading up to his election, Johnson criticized Arwady's public health approach and said he would replace her. Dr. Jennifer Suh, the chief medical officer for CDPH, has also reportedly resigned, leaving Deputy Commissioner Fakirti Wagao as the acting commissioner. Dr. Arwady gained prominence during the earlier stages of the COVID-19 pandemic as she, alongside Mayor Lightfoot, provided guidance on virus-related policies and measures. Crane's reporter Legion Greco and Crane's healthcare reporter Catherine Davis jointly reported that the crux of differences between Johnson and Arwady's public health approaches centered on mental health services offered by the city. Johnson aims to reopen 14 public mental health clinics, a move that Arwady was resistant to under Lightfoot's tenure. Dr. Arwady took the role of acting commissioner in 2019 and was officially appointed to the position in January of 2020, just before the COVID-19 pandemic emerged. She has been associated with CDPH since 2015. That's Crane's Daily just for now. Check in on our continuous news feed at chicagobusiness.com. Thanks so much to today's guest, Crane's healthcare reporter, Katherine Davis. You can follow all of our conversations on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to get your audio on demand. Don't forget to subscribe and please rate and review Crane's Daily Gist. Our show is produced by Todd Manley at Earsight Studios. I'm Amy Guth. Thanks so much for listening, and I'll meet you right back here next time.